You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. We'd like to welcome a guest to our show. His name is John Shipley. He covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Jaguar Report. You can catch his work at SI.com. John, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, glad to have you on our show. And uh, let's start with Urban Meyer. That's been the biggest news coming out of Jacksonville this offseason. He's the talk of the town. The fan base is excited. What are the biggest challenges that you think you'll face in year one? Yeah, I think the biggest challenges, you know, obviously will be adjusting, you know, to the the difference between the college and the NFL game on the field. You know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, football is football, but there are still a lot of differences, you know, at, at the NFL level, you know, uh, every team you're playing against, stack with talent you know even the Jaguars and Jets two worst teams in, in the NFL last year would be among you know the best teams if not the two best teams you know in all college football it's just you know at, at this level every single player can play you know there's not really a bad player you know and Urban Meyer kind of said that in his first press conference so I think not having that big talent advantage every week is going to be a big adjustment and I also think an adjustment is going to be really how he gets his message across to players, you know, because uh, before a lot of times his veterans and his leaders in the locker room would be, you know, 20, 21-year-olds. Uh, now it's going to be, you know, 29, 30, 31-year-olds. And they're going to be guys who are, you know, making a, a lot of money who he's going to really have to command the respect of. So I think really just com- figuring out a way to get his message and his culture across, I think that's going to be a challenge for him. But it's not a challenge I think he's uh, unprepared to be. With you know, Urban Meyer coming in in this uh, microwave society that we live in, uh, he's only been there a month. But in the not for long league, uh, Shad Khan, how much of a leash or how patient do you think he's going to be with uh, Urban Meyer and the staff? I think when it comes to how patient Shad Khan will be, I, I don't think there should be any kind of concern of that that would be a short marriage just because i mean shot con's one of the most patient owners uh in the nfl i spoke to people in the offseason you know about kind of the appeal of the jaguars general manager head coach positions and they mentioned con's patience as a big you know plus to that a lot of people inside you know maybe the jaguars support base you know their fan base see his patience as something that's maybe you know he gets he's too overly patient or he you know really trusts the wrong people but on the other hand, I really can't imagine that he would be willing to get out of this Urban Meyer marriage at any point. I, I think if there's anybody who wouldn't be patient in this scenario, it'd be Meyer uh, as opposed to Conn. Taking a look at the staff that he's hired now, given the Chris Doyle hire and fire and that kind of mess that happened there. But outside of that, I mean, what what are your takeaways on the staff that he's put together? Yeah, no, I thought other than, you know, that big misfire, I, I thought he put together a really impressive staff. And I thought it was a missed opportunity by him because, you know, he had people waiting a week for him to unveil his staff. Uh, it's supposed to be a really exciting day for the Jaguars. And then he just kind of took all the positive momentum away from it with that hire. Uh, he didn't hire Doyle. You probably hear instead about how, you know, really impressive his staff is on both sides of the ball. You know, he has a good mix of NFL and college guys, a good mix of people who are really experienced. You know, he has guys like – Joe Colin, Bob Sutton, Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer, George Warhop, 
who have all been in the NFL for a long time. But he also has young guys who are kind of rising stars, you know, like Zach Orr at outside linebackers coach and Tyler Bowen at tight ends coach. I, I was a bit surprised uh, initially when Colin was hired as defensive coordinator just because I was working under the presumption that, you know, they'd be hiring somebody with extensive uh, coordinator experience at both spots. But when it came down to it and Raheem Morris ended up going to Los Angeles, I think Colin made a lot of sense. Uh, just the fact that, you know, he's coming from the Baltimore Ravens. He's known as one of the league's best defensive line coaches, and he can surround himself with guys who know that system. So, overall, I thought Meyer put together an impressive staff and a staff that can help uh, Lawrence early. This team went 1-15, and obviously, last year, but there was one brightly shining star, and that was running back rookie James Robinson. He came out and out of nowhere for a lot of folks out there. How impressive was he in his debut season? Robinson was a revelation, honestly. There was nothing that he really did that made you think, wow, this, this guy struggles in this area, you know. Sure, he could be a little faster. Sure, you know, he could be a little quicker and, he, you know, hit the big runs more. But the guy catches the ball. He blocks. Uh, he gets the tough yards. He gets yards up to contact. He can make people miss. For an undrafted rookie, uh, he was, at least, you know, in the years I've been watching, I thought one of the most impressive I've seen, uh, you know, not just from that position, but overall. Do you think the reason why they let Leonard Fournette go was some of the things that they saw from James Robinson? I absolutely think so. Uh, Robinson was extremely impressive in training camp. You know, a big part of it was, you know, like I said earlier, his pass blocking. Uh, whenever they did pass blocking reps, he was one of the best players on the field. I really don't think that they released Fournette without having that confidence. Who do you think was the most disappointing player on the Jaguars squad last season? That's tough because when you're at 1-15, and 15, there are so many options. But the two I would come to is Taven Bryan defensively. You know, he had a lot of flashes at the end of his second season and had a lot of people excited for him. But he ended up getting benched midway through the season and never got a spot back. Uh, offensively, I think you have to go Gardner Minshew. You know, another guy who had a lot of hype but just failed to live up to it and lost a spot halfway through the year. Do you see him coming back as a backup? Or do you think the Jaguars are going to be uh... – open to to trading him and bringing in somebody maybe like Alex Smith? I think the Jaguars will be open to trading him just because at the end of the day, you know, you want a veteran back up to Lawrence. Gardner has started, you know, a decent amount of games for a young quarterback. But he's not really, you know, that veteran kind of mentor type uh, role for a guy like Lawrence just because they're so close in age, so close in experience. I think they entertain trading him. And if they don't find a deal for him, I think they at least, you know, bring him to camp next year. But I think they make at least one addition to the quarterback room in terms of, you know, like a veteran presence. So I think in that sense, I think Minshew, if he's not traded, I think he's very much so going to have to earn his way on the roster and even could be on the outside looking in. Let's focus on the defense, John. Uh, What do you think uh, was the biggest problem area there, the defensive line or the secondary? Man, that is such a tough one. Just I don't know if there's a – less productive defensive line in the NFL last year, and I don't know if there was a defense, I mean, a secondary they got beat more. I'd probably lean secondary just because, at least on the defensive line, you had some guys that flashed. Uh, I, I know Josh Allen wasn't overly productive, but he had a lot of good flashes before he got injured and lost for the year. Uh, Devon Hamilton, same way. You know, once he became the starter halfway through the year, you know, he had one really bad game against Detroit, but then he came in and had one of the best games of any rookie nose tackle last year against the Chargers. You know, he was a completely dominant force, and he kept that up for a month before an injury knocked him out for a year. 
And then Caleb Von Chason only had one sack last year. Obviously not a good figure for, you know, first-round rookie pass rusher. But with that said, you know, as much as he struggled over the first half of the season, he really came on over the second half. good amount of his pressures came in the last five to six games. And I believe among edge rushers, he was top six in uh, quarterback hits and pressures uh, over the last six games of the season. So at least on the defensive line, you had some young talent to be encouraged about moving forward. In the secondary, I don't really know, you know, what there was to be encouraging about. You know, C.J. Henderson only played eight games. You know, he flashed, of course, but the cornerback spot across from him was a mess. Uh, D.J. Hayden, you know, it just looked like he had finally regressed to the mean after two fantastic seasons in Jacksonville. Trey Hardin didn't take the step that they probably had wanted to see him take. Chris Playbrooks looked overwhelmed. Sidney Jones was probably the best corner, but he only played half the season due to injury issues that have kind of, you know, defined his career to this point. And then that safety, you know, Josh Jones was probably the worst uh, safety in the league last year in terms of coverage. So, you know, they just had issues all over the place. And they had a few bright spots. Uh, you know, Daniel Thomas, the fifth-round rookie from Auburn, was really impressive. But he's another guy, you you know, we've mentioned this a few times already in this, uh, you know, talk that, you know, hey, he impressed for a few games, but then he got hurt and lost for a year. So, really, all you saw was flashes uh, instead of, you know, any consistent play in that part. Well, John, you mentioned a, a couple positive or bright lights. With that in mind, who, I guess, on the current roster do you think is going to make a major leap? I think Colin Johnson, our wide receiver, will have a really good season as long as he's, you know, giving the reps. He had a fantastic training camp, but for the first half of the season, he really looked lost more often than not, you know. Uh, they would try to use his 6-6 frame for red zone, uh, you know, jump passes, but he would mistime his jumps almost allow interceptions, and it just looked like a mess and everything trying to get him the ball. Over the second half of the season, however, he looked much more comfortable and fluid attacking the ball, and he won essentially it seemed like every jump ball that threw at him. He showed great yards after the catch, so I think he's somebody who can really explode if given the rep, you know, now that he has a year under his belt. Uh, Daniel Thomas, you know, the safety I just mentioned a minute ago out of Auburn, I think he can be a really uh, surprising player, you know, in their new scheme. You know, they've, they have basically uh, indicated that they're going to be bringing over Baltimore's scheme. Uh, you know, we all know how much Baltimore loves using its safeties. You know, they use, you know, three, four, five safeties a game in their defenses. So the Jaguars, who need safety depth, kind of already have some in the fact that, you know, Thomas last year in his, you know, limited reps was such an impressive player. You know, he was talented in coverage, good in run defense, forced turnovers was an impact special teamer, blocking a punt for a touchdown. So I think those are two guys on offense and defense who could really surprise people under this new regime. When you're looking at the current roster, the Jaguars have a lot of free agents. Who is that one guy? Which free agent? They can't afford to lose this one guy. It probably uh, starts and ends with left tackle Cam Robinson, which, you know, is probably surprising considering Robinson isn't anything more, at least right now, than an average left tackle in the NFL. You know, he is by no means a player that uh, most teams would say they can't lose. With that said, the Jaguars are about to have the number one overall pick, uh, you know, and they're going to need to protect their investment, and that investment's likely to be Trevor Lawrence. They don't want to be in a situation like the Bengals or Joe Burrow last year where they're putting their face of the franchise at risk every Sunday because they don't have an adequate offensive line. Cam Robinson, as of right now, is their best option at left tackle unless they can make some kind of trade for Orlando Brown or somehow convince Trent Williams to sign with the team that just went 1-15. Uh, they could always, you know, draft a rookie at pick 125 or even trade up. 
But otherwise, their best option is Robinson, who right now is set to be a free agent in March. So it probably starts and ends with him because, you know, Keelan Cole is a good player, but they have death at receiver. And DeJuan Smoot's a, a solid rotational guy, but, uh, you know, he's, he's not really a starter. So it probably starts and ends, like I said, with Cam Robinson. Has Cam Robinson been a disappointment so far? Because to me, he's been an average left tackle. So can you afford to to pay an average left tackle the, the big bucks? Uh, on one hand, uh, he's just 25 and he has a lot of experience. And, you know, perhaps they could have the hope that he can continue to develop under George Warhop, who was his offensive line coach the last two years. Uh, Robinson took a step last year, but it wasn't as big of a step as people wanted. And basically only two of his NFL seasons can really be evaluated due to that ACL injury he had in the second season. He hasn't shown anything more than being an average player right now. You probably can't afford to make you know make him a top 10 paid player at the position. But just considering their cap space right now, they can probably afford to give him probably two-year contract where they're kind of banking on him, push the money to year one, and then make a decision in year two. Well, you mentioned that cap space, and they're at the – Top of the league, if you would, uh, close to $80 million in cap space. John, I mean, based on, you know, Balky and the, just the organization, how aggressive do you think they'll be in free agency? I think they're going to be aggressive just because of the fact that I don't think Urban Meyer uh, came to the Jaguars with the idea of this being, you know, like a four to five year rebuild where they're not going to be able to compete early on. I, I think he came here with the idea that they can get a turnaround and compete quickly, you know, maybe not turn around the record quickly, but at least feel a competitive team. And because of that, I think they're going to use every resource possible and flip every stone. And I think a big part of that is utilizing that cap space. Uh, I don't think they're going to be afraid to spend in March. Uh, I think they know that they need to add, uh, you know, they were the youngest roster in the NFL already last season, and they were one of the cheapest rosters in the NFL. You know, they only had a handful of players even getting paid over $10 million a year, whereas, you know, the Buccaneers, I think, have eight or nine. I don't imagine that they'll have any hesitation to spin because at this point they kind of have to do you think offensive line is going to be at the top of the list i think left tackle will be but otherwise i really don't think that they're going to spend big on offensive line otherwise i know after uh trevor lawrence's pro day urban meyer spoke to nfl network and he had said you know uh, it's not a blow-up offensive line he, he said the offensive line he considered it a strength uh, that could be just coach talk but if you look at it last year uh, the three interior players last year honestly had good seasons. Uh, it, it was their tackles that struggled. They were turning all three of those interior players. They need to answer the question at left tackle. And at right tackle, they just need to hope Jawan Taylor, uh, you know, reverse factors, rookie form, and takes a step forward instead of taking a step backward and regressing like he did last year. John, what do you think would be a successful season for this team and this staff? I think a successful season is, a six-win season where you're competitive in the losses. You know, a, a season where it looks like you could realistically, you know, with a few more added pieces in one off season, turn it around and get over that 500 hump. Uh, you know, as much as people and as much as I'm sure Urban Meyer uh, would like to see, you know, 9, 10, 11 wins early on, um, they went 1-15 for a reason last year. You know, this, this is going to be a long, a longer, you know, turn to success than – Maybe people would want, you know, more so than a one-year, you know, turnaround story. And they need more than just Trevor Lawrence. You know, obviously he'll play a major factor, but they need more than just that quarterback piece. So I could see them 
Yeah, I, I can see it, you know, being like the Browns. You know, they went to the playoffs a few years in the Baker Mayfield, you know, career. You know, eventually he helped get them over the hump, but it wasn't anything that was a massively quick turnaround. So I could see something about a six or seven win season being considered a success in year one. Urban Meyer is not the most patient guy, John. Can he handle yeah. a, a six and ten season? That's the question he has to answer. Uh, I doubt that he would have taken a job if he's just not prepared for that possibility. Just because, I mean, you know, nobody questions how intelligent he is, you know, as a coach. I just can't imagine the possibility that he would, you know, not enter the NFL without knowing the chance of, okay, you know, we think could maybe not go as well for us earlier on. You know, he knows what he's stepping into. You know, he's going to want to win quickly, but I also think he's in a way expecting and prepared for things not to go as well. Given the list of free agents that are out there right now, any names that we should be looking for that might be associated with uh, the Jags at some point? Yeah, I think John Johnson, the third from the Rams, uh, would make a lot of sense. You know, he's really good in man coverage, really good as a blitzer, good at forcing turnovers. So he seems like a Joe Cullen uh, type of defender. I think Leonard Williams and Dalvin Collinson are both going to be high on their list just because they have such a big need at interior defensive line. And I'd also imagine they look at tight ends. Uh, Hunter Henry and John Smith and Gerald Everett, I think, are the three names that make the most sense. Uh, you know, they, they got announced this week that they were expected to decline Tyler Eifert's team option. Four tight ends that are currently set to be on their roster next year who aren't free agents have a combined uh, 14 career catches between them. So I, I'd imagine the Jaguars spend on a tight end, and I think it'd be one of those three. All right. Well, uh, we appreciate you taking the time, John. It was great to have you. Uh, look forward to maybe talking to you again, maybe after the draft and uh, free agency. Maybe remind our listeners how they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you guys can find me at Jaguar Report or SI.com slash NFL slash Jaguars. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore John underscore Shipley. Uh, th- thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. You know, love the show. You guys do fantastic work, and I'm, I'm honored to have been on. So what's in a number? Carson Wentz gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts. And he's number 11. Well, the Colts have a number 11. It's Michael Pittman Jr., up-and-coming star, you know, whatever. What what typically happens? I mean, Alex, I mean, what, you know, we've seen this before. This new guy comes in. Usually, you know, if it is a quarterback, maybe they, they pay for their number. But in this case, it, I don't think it went that way. Yeah, it seems like Michael Pittman wants to stick with that number. It's weird. He's only a rookie. This isn't like he's had that number for the last you know, 10 years. He, he hasn't made the Hall of Fame yet. He's not an all-pro receiver. Stuck up for his number, and he's not giving it up to his quarterback. I don't remember the last time like a quarterback switching teams coming into his new team and not receiving that number. Usually with signal callers, guys are, are more forthcoming and and giving that number away. I mean, I'm not into conspiracy theories or anything like that. We All we heard was Pittman's side of it, right? On TMZ, he's like, oh yeah, he called me. You know, He never really said anything about an offer or anything like that. He just basically said, yeah, I'm cool with the number. And Carson was like, oh, well, then I guess I'll just change mine. It made it sound really, really clean and whatever. But I guess... Again, the conspiracy theorists are going to think, well, wait a second. What does this say in the locker? What, what's their thinking of Carson Wentz? 
I mean, obviously, he's nowhere near Tom Brady, but, you know, he goes to the Bucks and Chris Godwin, again, young, hotshot receiver, immediately, like, here you go. And I'm sure Brady made it worth his while, and I'm sure Wentz has made plenty of money, and he could offer him money, and maybe that would have gone some ways to just say, hey, here's a hundred grand or whatever the hell the number is to ingratiate him into the locker room. But uh, I don't know. Do you think there's anything to that? Or are we making too much of this? I think we are. Tom Brady is Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, that's I not mean, even you're, cool. you're, He probably didn't even have to pay anything to, to Chris Godwin. He just gave it to him because of the things that he accomplished this year. Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz. I mean, with all due respect, it is better for him to switch that number because you know, 11 hasn't worked out in the past. You know, it has kind of run out its course. I mean, remember, even Michael Jordan switched his number when he came back with the Bulls. And that's Michael Jordan, right? From 23 to, what, 45. And then he, he went back to 23. Kobe switched his number. He was 8, and then he, he went to 24. I think we're reading too much into this. Switch your number. You're getting a clean, new, fresh start accept a new number and hopefully that the Colts will be able to do great things with Carson Wentz. Well, maybe changing his number, going to the Colts, the horseshoe, it will change his luck. And yes, that was a pun that I intended. Moving on, talking about another quarterback here. University of Alabama, Mac Jones has an amazing year. Maybe not the same type of year that Joe Burrow had, but you know, in some cases, he actually had a little bit better numbers, maybe in percentage and in, in completions. There was something that was a little bit better than Burrow, but I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say that he's a better player than Joe Burrow is. But my question is this he's coming into the league, he had this outstanding season, kind of came out of nowhere as far as just how massive it was. Is he closer to Joe Burrow because of the, I guess, kind of what happened in their respective senior years? Or is he closer to another Alabama quarterback by the name of A.J. McCarron? I think he's somewhere in the middle. And here's the reason why. Joe Burrow had a monster season as a senior. Nobody saw it coming. And nobody saw him as a number one overall pick or even a first-round pick. Based on the junior season that he had with the LSU Tigers— He was like a day three guy. That's about it. He had a magical season. And the one thing that sets Joe Burrow apart is just the way he was able to pick those defenses apart in the SEC. I mean, the guy is just ahead of his curve. And even though he he didn't start for very long, he was only a two-year starter, he was reading defenses like a pro, like a 10-year veteran. Because he was going through his progressions, he was decisive, he knew where to go with the football, and that's what set him apart. I guess it's no surprise why he was able to read those defenses. His dad was a defensive coordinator for a number of years in college. So Joe Burrow watched probably as much film as any prospect out there. He knew what he was doing and what defenses were trying to do to him and the offense. And he attacked it. That's what set him apart. I don't see that from Mac Jones at this point. I see somebody that, that's still developing, that's still getting better, uh, it's still getting his feet wet because he only started for one year. Well, he started 17 games, uh, but 13 this year and four last year because of Tua's injury. That's still not enough to, to give us a, a clear picture of who Mac Jones is. And in my opinion, Joe Burrow is a better prospect and for the long term as well. Mac Jones is a good prospect, 
but he shouldn't be up there with Trevor Lawrence's. He shouldn't be up there even with Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. Mac Jones is a good prospect that I would take a chance on somewhere in the 20s. But if we're talking about pushing him into the top five or top 10, that is even too rich for me, even though I like him as a quarterback prospect. And I don't buy this theory out there. There are a lot of people out there that say, Mac Jones has already tapped out. How do you know that? He's only started for one year of college football. I mean, he is going to get better the more times he's going to get on the field. For some reason, there's like this perception that just because he doesn't have this arm strength of Trevor Lawrence or Zach Wilson, that this is it. He's tapped out. I'm not one of these. I think he will get better, but his upside is a lot lower than those three guys that I mentioned earlier in the show. Well, I think this is the time of year where, you know, you're just going to hear all these different things. I mean, these quarterbacks get picked apart like not no other position, I think, in, in, in any other sport. And especially going into the draft, because and, and then they also do get pushed up just because of the value of the position and so forth. But it seems like recently there's so many more available guys that at least the perception of them is coming into the league that they're going to be really good. Or they've actually shown early on that, hey, we've got something here. Well, the you know, pressure is on, Lou. Absolutely. The pressure is on on these guys because of the success that Kyler Murray has had, of the success that you know Justin Herbert has had in the NFL. The earlier these guys start, they get the opportunity to get on the field. And when they have success, that puts the pressure on on this batch of guys coming in. If they're going to struggle for a couple of games, reporters and and coaches are going to be asking, what's going on with this guy? He's only 21 years old, but look what Justin Herbert did. What Look what Kyler Murray did in the previous years. What's going on with my guy? Did I get it wrong? You still have to be patient. Everybody is different boundaries out there somebody takes a little bit more to develop and we're so quickly to label these guys as busts i mean what did you hear about tua at the end of the season oh the dolphins got it wrong tua is a bust you know people are already jumping on him even though he wasn't healthy fully during the season he was injured the the coach was pushing for him to start anytime he, he got the opportunity. But it's like you don't have a successful season like like Jared Goff didn't have a successful season during his rookie year, or Tua didn't have a successful year, and people are already like, Oh, he's a bust. How do you know? Give him three years. Give them some time to develop. This isn't just coming in and you're gonna contribute right away. But that position is being evaluated a lot differently nowadays. It has, and I don't know if it started with the Arizona Cardinals, but it certainly took a major leap with the Arizona Cardinals when in two consecutive years they took top 10 quarterbacks. I think as soon as they moved off of Josh Rosen and their first-year coach, Wilkes, in one fell swoop, basically signaling the league, it's okay to do this now. It's okay to have these expectations. These guys are being trained from such a young age that if we don't see them like almost immediately have an impact on the team, and because we don't have to pay them like we used to, you know, there's a rookie scale, that we can just move off them. It's not that big of a, a salary cap hit. We can deal with it, and we just move on, like almost revolving doors. Now, we haven't gotten to that point yet, but... It certainly seems like the feeling in the league is a little bit more on the side of 
cutting bait and saying, let's let's reboot this to the point now, like you said, as, as far as two is concerned. I mean, if they have the ability to go get Deshaun Watson, now again, this is a whole different can of worms. You know, Deshaun Watson's like, you know, again, one of these unicorns. But again, they're ready to move off of their guy after only, what, nine starts, eight or nine starts? Yeah, it's getting kind of nutty. But going back to Mac Jones, sometimes these guys that really have a comfortable college experience take a little while in the pros if they ever do make it. It seems like the guys that kind of struggle in college or don't have it as easy, don't have, you know, all conference or all American linemen, or they're throwing to first round wide receivers. I mean, you got Mac Jones, two kids that are probably going to go in the top 15 or 20 as far as wide receivers go. He's got offensive linemen that are going to go in the first round. So he's had a really comfortable experience where, you know, you look at somebody like Mahomes, Holmes at Texas Tech. Who is he throwing to? Who is protecting him? Uh, Josh Allen at Wyoming. You know, you just, you know, it just seems like those guys. I don't know if it's a mental thing or just the fact that they're able to overcome a lot of stuff in college. They come in feeling that, hey, this isn't going to be easy, and I really got to step up my game incrementally, year over year, practice over practice, you know, game over game, you know, whatever you have to say. But that's kind of the sense I have as far as those players go, coming from the bigger programs. You know, Burrow had a similar experience, but it looked like he was all the facts you mentioned helped him have a pretty successful rookie year until he got hurt. Tua coming from Alabama is like, eh, I don't know. Is there anything to that? I think there's truth in that because when you're like Patrick Mahomes, when you're running for your life in the Big 12 because you don't have a, a good offensive line, you, you have like average pass catchers, there's no comfort level there. You know you have to get rid of the ball quickly or you're going to get killed. You're able to throw from different angles. And this is a, a similar case to Zach Wilson this year at BYU. He, he didn't have a great supporting cast. He has a couple of guys that are going to get drafted, but this isn't Alabama's offense. This isn't Ohio State's offense with Justin Fields. This isn't a Trevor Lawrence offense with Clemson. I want to come back to Mac Jones. Yes. You know, there's this. Let's there's bring this it back. Case. Mac Jones, where is he going? There's this perception out there. Last year, Tua was kind of the darling for some of these networks out there. And people were kind of dismissing the fact that he played for Alabama and he had four first-round wide receivers in Henry Ruggs and uh, Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. And then you had Najee Harris in the backfield. People kind of dismissed that. But this year, people, when they see Mac Jones... They're like, no, no, he has Alabama weapons. But Mac Jones didn't have the weapons that Tua had. Henry Ruggs has moved on. Jerry Judy has moved on. Jalen Waddle played only half of the season. Devontae Smith was the only guy. Then John Mechie kind of came out of nowhere, but I'm, he's not that type of talent that those four guys were. And for some reason, like Mac Jones is being criticized a lot more than Tua in that regard. And I don't get it. Like Tua was the darling, but Mac Jones... When I'm breaking down the film, Mac Jones, to me, is a better prospect. Like, he knows his limitations, and he gets rid of the ball quickly. He's accurate, and not only on those dink and dunk passes. No, he's an accurate deep ball thrower. He hits those receivers in stride. He's got very good ball placement, and he throws with anticipation. 
So last time I checked, if you're an accurate quarterback and you have good ball placement and you can throw the ball before the receiver comes out of his break, you're going to be successful at the next level. This is like Drew Brees-esque. This is like Tom Brady-esque. But NFL teams right now are looking for more than that. They're looking for a Patrick Mahomes type of guy who can create, who can do something with his legs, who can move out of the pocket because you're not always going to have a clean pocket. So you need him to improvise. You need mobility. That's not who Mac Jones is. He needs a clean pocket. He's not a guy that, that's going to improvise. He lacks mobility. And so those things are working against Mac Jones because the NFL is looking for a, a new age quarterback. And Mac Jones looks like the second coming of Drew Brees and Tom Brady. And the league is kind of going away from that. That's the point that I'm trying to make. But again, when you evaluate quarterbacks, it's not arm strength. It's not size. Accuracy matters. Ball placement and anticipation. Mac Jones has that. And at the Senior Bowl, he was the best quarterback there, Lou. He got better as the week progressed. And it was the same thing that I saw with Baker Mayfield. When Baker Mayfield showed up on Tuesday, he was off. But when the week progressed, Wednesday, Thursday, he clearly became the best quarterback in, in Mobile, Alabama. I saw the same thing when I was watching film from my home, not live, but things that I saw, Mac Jones got better as the week progressed. And he didn't hide. A.J. McCarron, I remember, skipped the senior bowl. He didn't go there. He became a fifth-round pick. Mac Jones wasn't hiding from anybody. He knows his limitations. But he also knows how to slide within that pocket, like Tom Brady. He knows how to, to buy himself that extra half a second in order to get rid of the ball. So there are a lot of things that I like from Mac Jones, and I'm saying this is what an NFL quarterback has to be able to do. He struggles a bit in the red zone. This is where windows get tighter, and he locks on to his primary target. Usually he works through those progressions, but once they get in the red zone, he locked in on Devontae Smith. He was staring him down. And teams kind of knew what he wanted to do. And well, and he's that's not a bad guy. Will, not a bad guy to lock in on, right? Not a bad guy to <laughs> lock in on. That's something he's got to get better at. He's only had one year of starting experience. Give him a break. And for some reason, people are criticizing Mac Jones a lot more than I saw them criticizing Tua last year. But in my opinion, Mac Jones had a better year at Alabama than Tua. I see a lot of things where he projects really well onto the next level. This will just be our last point as far as Mac Jones is concerned. Again, you don't know if this is taken out of context or whatever, but reportedly, you know, in an interview, Devontae Smith, you know, they basically gave him that comparison, you know, to a Mac Jones. And he, like, didn't hesitate for a second, I, I get from hearing the audio. It's Mac Jones. I mean, they they barely finished the question. And it, it, it's Mac Jones all the way. So I don't know if he's throwing two on the bus. I don't know if Mac Jones is just his buddy or whatever. They're just prisoner of the moment. He was the guy throwing him all the touchdowns when he gets the Heisman. But Devontae Smith seems to like Mac Jones over Tua. Tag, you're it. Yesterday, the 23rd, was the first day you could place franchise tags, transition tags on players pending free agents. 
Most of these teams are probably going to take a while, try to get a long-term deal struck. I think you have till March 9th to place the franchise tag. So, you know, there's a little bit of time here. But in anticipation of that, maybe we can take a look at some guys that we think are, are going to get tagged and who, you know, I guess some guys that are, are going to be able to test the waters. We talked a little bit, you know, just when we spoke about free agency last week, some of these guys, but I think at the top of the list, I'm looking at Tampa Bay, and I'm th- they got a lot of guys there, so I don't know who they're going to be able to pay if pass rushing is the priority. I got to believe Shaq Barrett gets that tag. I mean, Chris Godwin. Might I don't get think tagged. so. I mean, I you know that one I just don't see happening, just because I guess the wide receiver tag is like just over 16 million. They've paid a lot of money to Mike Evans. They've got some other receiving options. OJ Howard is coming back. Now, obviously, he's not a wide receiver, but, you know, again, depending on what happens with if Gronk comes back or not. A lot of question marks there. You got Levante David that means so much to that defense as well. I think Godwin may, I don't want to say he's expendable, but I think if you're making a choice of all those guys, I think Godwin's probably at the bottom of that list as far as a tag goes. If AB isn't coming back and if Gronkowski isn't coming back, you got to bring Godwin back. I'm, I'm, Tom Brady doesn't want to feel like you're not giving him weapons. If Godwin comes back, it's going to be on a, I don't want to say a hometown deal. It's going to be a longer term deal. I don't think he gets the tag. I think it's going to it's going to be somebody like Barrett or David. Quarterback, it's twenty. It's a little over twenty-four million. Running back, it's eleven plus. Wide receiver, sixteen. Tight end, ten plus. Offensive line, fourteen and a half. Defensive tackle, fourteen point two. Defensive end, seventeen point eight. Linebacker, fifteen point seven. Quarterback, fifteen point three. Safety, eleven point two. So those are the the tags on the first tag. Second tag would be one hundred twenty percent over the previous, and then if it's a third, it's one hundred forty four percent of the previous salary. So when we start talking about Dak Prescott, and it's not twenty four million, it's like thirty seven million. So what do you think happens? And again, this is ad nauseum, but we've got Dak Prescott. I think he's going to get tagged again. I think he is going to get tagged. I do think the Cowboys want to get something done long-term, but for some reason, they just haven't been able to reach it. I, I'm confused. Like I said, the Cowboys are always a franchise that is willing to, to fork out the, the big bucks. We're signing everybody. Ezekiel Elliott, Jalen Smith. Jerry Jones is never shy about opening up his, his big checkbook, and everybody gets signed. And sometimes those salaries, I mean, they're unwarranted. It's like free spending. Uh, Other teams aren't even offering that much for Ezekiel Elliott. But Jerry Jones is, is a free spender. He's always been known as a free spender. Let's go back to the 1990s when he was opening up his checkbook back then and keeping his aging stars. And sometimes that got him into trouble. I don't get it. You have your best player on the team and you're playing hardball with him and his representatives. I mean, if there's one position that you can't play hardball on, it's the quarterback position, and that really just baffles me. And it makes me think that if they continue to play hardball like this, his agent is just going to say, all right, guys, we'll we'll do the franchise tag this year, but we're not going to do it another time. We're signing elsewhere, and uh, we just kind of need to prove that Dak is healthy and he can return to his old form. 
you know, the Mike McCarthy offense is really QB friendly, so Dak can put up, you know, 5,000 yards next season if if he's good to go because of all the weapons that they have. I think that's the only reason why Dak Prescott will return to the Cowboys, just to prove to the other franchises out there that are looking for quarterbacks that he's healthy enough to to get it done. Okay, so some lesser names, and then, you know, some bigger ones. How about Carl Lawson, defensive end, Cincinnati, playing well for them. They've got money under the cap. They're at like $38 million based on a $180 million cap. So that, that's not going to be an issue. What, what do you think? You think Lawson would deserve something like that? I think Lawson is going to sign elsewhere. I think he's ready to move on, and I think there are going to be plenty of other teams that are going to pursue him. And he knows that the Bengals aren't winning next year, with all due respect. And this guy has gotten better. He has progressed in his career. I think Lawson is, is gone. It looks like Carolina's clearing space and really getting in position to make an offer for Deshaun Watson. You've got Curtis Samuel as a pretty young wide receiver. Hasn't, I guess, shown a ton, but it seemed like he's imp- he improved last year. The wide receiver tag, you know, $16.4 million. The Panthers are sitting at their $20 million under the cap, and this was prior to the restructures and some of the moves that they're they're currently making. I think they're like $40 million under now. Do you think this depends on whether they make that move for Watson? No, I think Curtis Samuel is gone. He had his best year as a pro this past season in Joe Brady's offense, but I believe that they have money tied up. I mean, they've got DJ Moore coming up soon, and they signed Robbie Anderson. I think they can find a wide receiver in the draft, and I think they're going to cut loose with Curtis Samuel. It's not even about the franchise tag. I don't think they're going to re-sign him because that offense, that scheme is is not only quarterback friendly, but it's wide receiver friendly. And I just think that I can find a a cheaper option if I'm a Carolina Panther, uh, if I'm that franchise, whether it's on day two or even day three. And we're talking about a a slot receiver, kind of uh, used as a gadget player on those jet sweeps, those end arounds. I can find a guy like that, Lou, and there's no way that I'm paying him $60 million so I can franchise tag him. But as far as like the Panthers, it's obvious what they're trying to do. They're definitely clearing space for to make that monster offer for Deshaun Watson. There, there's no doubt about it. There was a report out there that Teddy Bridgewater has deleted his Panthers affiliation from his account. So when when you see things like that, you realize that you know, the big move is coming. That's like the, Would, petty, it, the pettiest it, way to show to show your employer that you're pissed at him. I'll just unfollow you. I mean, it seems but, like but such, just, it seems I like think, such a like a, a middle school girl or a high school girl thing to do. Oh, that's absolutely right. But the thing is, I mean, the Panthers haven't been shy about uh, their criticism of Teddy Bridgewater in the second half of the season. Uh, Matt Rule hasn't pulled any punches. The owner has also said some things that they need to improve in that area. They were unhappy. The The quarterback usually gets the, the grunt of the criticism, and Teddy wasn't, wasn't at his best. You know how I feel about Teddy Bridgewater, and this pains me to say something this like is this. A, but this is a 10-year bromance. Back in the day when, when I was the humble host in waiting, coming out of Louisville, that was, yeah, that was Alex's guy every day of the week and twice on Sunday. That was my man crush, absolutely. And I still believe that 
Teddy could be a good quarterback in this league, but the Panthers are done with him. Another team, they get, I mean, and this isn't a rookie quarterback. This is a guy that's been in the league and whatever. They give him a year. Well, hey, Watson's available. We got to roll the dice, which, again, this doesn't happen where you're hearing some rumblings about Russell Wilson, this other stuff. But, I mean, Deshaun Watson specifically, you know, you can see why he doesn't want to be there. Who knows if he actually gets traded? But I guess if he is does become available, you'd have to, to explore it, don't you? I mean, unless you, unless you have one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, you have to explore it. I'm doing everything in my power if I'm the Carolina Panthers to get Deshaun Watson here. How about, I mean, some other name we didn't talk about last week, Bud Dupree. I mean, that's, that's a big one. I mean, this obviously a, a cornerstone, the Steelers pass rush. He and TJ Watt kind of, I mean, that that's a dominant bookend pass rush unit. I mean, they're in kind of cap trouble here. The Steelers, they're one of the teams that are the furthest over. Even if they cut Big Ben, I don't think it's going to help them cap-wise that much. Can they, I don't even know if they can afford to, to put a franchise tag on them, but would you? No, because I think there's one thing that I learned about the Pittsburgh Steelers is that they know how to draft wide receivers. And linebackers. And they know how to, yeah. and they know how to draft linebackers, those edge rushers. You, you go get one in the NFL draft, whether it's in the first round or the second round, I'm confident that the Pittsburgh Steelers are, are going to find that guy. Just like they're going to let Juju Smith-Schuster go. They're going to let Bud Dupree go as well. Another team in cap hell, but an up-and-coming young rusher, defensive end, Trey Hendrickson. Again, I mean, it's hard to see them affording it. They're like $70 million over the cap number. But you know, it, would he be a guy that you think a team, if he was on a different team, would think about franchising? Yeah, if he was on a different team than the New Orleans Saints, absolutely. Because he's been a valuable guy, a valuable pass rusher. It's hard to find those guys. and But the Saints are in cap hell. Now, this was really his I, first year of any really significant production. But I think, he, I think only Aaron Donald had more sacks than he did. Well, he's been more of a backup before. Right. I mean, he has developed. I think he's going to be a hot commodity. And I just don't think the Saints can afford him, whether it's on a franchise tag or, or otherwise. Now, the Cardinals, you've got you know, this guy coming out of Temple. I thought he was going to be a great player. Not just a good player, but a great player. He seems to have maybe found his footing this past year. And again, surprise, surprise, contract year, Hassan Reddick from Temple. They're in a decent cap position. They're, they've got some space. Do you think he's somebody that you would put the franchise tag on? It's kind of a theme on this show. If you have a good year in a contract year and you haven't done anything in previous years, that's a huge red flag to me. And not only for a team like the Arizona Cardinals that knows him all too well, his work ethic and what he does you know, in the film room and off the field, but for teams, this is a signal for me that there's no way that I go after that guy. Now, the Ravens have a couple of players uh, on their defense that are in the position. I don't know that either of these guys get get tagged. Uh, you've got Ngakwe, who's going for some kind of record as the number of teams he plays on inside of you know a couple of seasons. Matt Judon has has been a great player for them, but I don't know if he's elevated himself to a tran- to a uh, franchise or a transition tag. Ngakwe, maybe. I don't. I don't. I'm not seeing on either of them. He was on a franchise tag before, right? Ngakwe. With, uh, yeah. With so Jackson. I'm not with, sure. with Jacksonville, wasn't he? 
yeah, I'm not sure that he's going to take that route again. That was his major beef that the Jacksonville Jaguars weren't giving him an extension. And in my opinion, it's I think the Ravens would want to do a deal with Ngakwe, but it has to be on the right deal. I'm not sure that the franchise tag will be placed on him just because of where he stands with it. And I think they're going to part with, with both guys. And again, the Ravens are another team that has a lot of success finding those front seven players through the draft. Now, Justin Simmons is on the tag now, and I think he's been, like anybody else, looking for a long-term deal. Denver still shaky, you know, making noise about, obviously, other team that doesn't have a five, top five quarterback interest in, uh, in Deshaun Watson. But again, you have to build your team around him as well, and they have a good defense, and he's one of the best safeties in the league, if not the best. Do you tag him again? I mean, safety is pretty is, is pretty inexpensive. It's like eleven point two million. He's on the tag now, so this is second tag. You'd be looking at roughly about fifteen million. I wouldn't want to lose somebody like Justin Simmons, and if I can't come on a, if I can't extend and come to a contract extension, that yeah, you you have to franchise tag him because he's one of the best safeties in the league, and I think Vic Fangio knows this. We talked about some guys last week. I don't know if we if we talked so much about Aaron Jones. I don't think running backs are ever going to get franchise tagged. It is a low number. Obviously, it's the you know the lowest outside of tight end. With them drafting Dylan and maybe they bring back Jamal Williams. I think maybe Aaron Jones is a goner, right? I always feel sorry for running backs and free agency. It's a lonely place to be. The running back is is a lonely position to be in in free agency. And I just think that Aaron Jones will be looking for a big deal, but I don't think anybody is going to give it to him. I wouldn't be surprised if if the Packers will be able to bring him back for for a big-time discount for a couple of years. And I don't see how you can franchise tag a running back. Running backs are a dime a dozen. I think we've seen this in you, you bring in guys off the street, and you have, if you have a good offensive line, they're going to succeed, and you can find these guys in the draft. And uh, I, I can't see how you can commit big-time money to a guy like Aaron Jones. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just the way it has gone. That is the, the, the one position where, again, teams have just said, like, hey, you know, we'll get what we can is for as long as we can, and then we can just get another one in the draft or, you know, undrafted free agents, you know, are, are making, doing big things. As far as the, the tag is concerned, you think get to a point where they remove that or it gets altered in some way? I think it's very convenient for the teams. I don't think so. I think it has been introduced and I think it's here to stay. Maybe it gets altered in some way. It already has in a way. I mean, you can't just continue to, to franchise tag everyone every year, right? I mean, you can only do it for so long. Well, one player and, yeah, three times, yep. The league still wants to do it its own way. Teams, franchises, they, you know, to them, players are, are just numbers. And the, like I said before, I'm glad that players are kind of taking on more of 
hey, I'm going to run this franchise out here. I'm going to try to do everything in my power to make my team better or I'm not going to stay here. And I think we've seen this this power play from Deshaun Watson. We've seen it from Russell Wilson. I applaud those guys because, hey, you're making a lot of money. You're kind of the face of that franchise. You do a lot for that team, not only on the field, but off the field as well. So, And I'm glad that the NFL is a little bit turning into the NBA or Major League Baseball that these players are, are taking on more of, you know, trying to win this power struggle that they've, They've had a tough time winning over the years with these NFL owners. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Thanks for checking in on us. We'll talk to you again next week. And as always, on the way out, peace!